Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. We're already in our eighth Sunday of Pentecost, working quickly through ordinary time in the liturgy. We are coming to the close of our series on discipleship in the book of Romans this morning. We have uh, started in the beginning of chapter 5 and we're at the end of chapter 8 today. And uh, Bible scholars say chapters 5 through 8 is kind of the middle body of the letter and sort of has a thing of its own going on. So we're going to draw it to a close today. Last week we uh, talked about the big picture view of salvation, was that, which was that we don't float off to heaven when we die, but heaven comes to earth and God redeems the cosmos and redeems our bodies in our resurrected bodies. Now Paul takes the conversation and he goes to continue on to talk a little bit about uh, the here and now. And he talks about the groaning that is going on inside of us, that is the groaning of prayer. Have you ever thought... I wish I was better at prayer, or I wish I understood prayer better, or, uh, or <laughs> what's that? You have thought that? Or uh, what should I pray for? Am I praying long enough? How should I pray for it? Should I pray when I feel like I don't want to pray? How should I pray? Or have you ever uh, had the experience of ending your time in prayer by thinking, well, I hope that was good enough? And you have this sort of mixed feelings of exhaustion and despair because you feel the weight of your own inadequacy in in your prayer life. I have been there. I have been there. But here's the thing. We don't have to feel like that. We don't have to feel like that about our prayer. We don't have to be weighed down by guilt and shame because our prayer is inadequate. In fact, as we're going to see in our passage today, the Bible tells us that we can't pray perfectly. We can't pray perfectly. Paul says this, and if you want to follow along in your bulletins, we're working through, of course, the Romans passage, Romans chapter 8. Paul says this, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. We could translate that, on our own, we can't pray perfectly. On our own, we can't pray perfectly. See there, you can breathe a sigh of relief uh, because the Bible tells you that you can't be a perfect prayer. I think most of us read that and not in agreement and say, Amen. So what does Paul mean by this? Remember, um, in these last few chapters, Paul's been talking about this sort of um, internal struggle for uh, believers in Jesus who have the spirit given to them that helps them uh, fulfill God's purposes and overcome sin. But there's still this something of the sinful nature abiding there. And there's sort of a pull back and forth. And remember, Paul said, uh, I, I don't do the things that I know that are right and I want to do. And I do the very things that I hate. There's this sort of internal uh, struggle going on. Well, Paul realized that this struggle actually even affected our prayer lives, even affected our prayer lives. Um, we don't always pray for the right thing. In fact, we probably sometimes pray for the wrong thing. Sometimes we pray selfishly and we or we find ourselves unable to speak the adequate words in prayer. There's all kinds of ways that we miss the mark in prayer. And that's why Paul tells us the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we ought. Here's what that implies. You can't let the imperfections of your prayer life stop you from praying. You can't let the imperfection in your prayer life stop you from praying. And here's why. Because the Spirit of God that dwells in you prays in you. The Spirit of God that dwells in you prays in you. He says this, The Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. Well, what in the world does that mean? It means that what you don't get right in your prayers, what you don't even have words for, God's own spirit in you speaks on your behalf. 
It's not a perfect analogy, but maybe we could visualize it like this. Imagine going on a long hike in the wilderness and getting lost. You're trying to find your way back to camp, but you've used all of your learned navigational skills and you still can't figure out where to head. But then you suddenly remember that you have this nice little electronic device called a GPS in your pocket, and at the press of a button, it will guide you step by step back to the camp. Now, you, your natural skills are exhausted, but you've got something that can guide you back perfectly, that can get you there accurately. Now, you've still got to put your limbs and your physical endurance to work to get there, but the device makes your journey to camp complete. Prayer is kind of like that, except it's God's Spirit dwelling in us, praying in us, making sure that the right prayers are offered up when we don't even have the words for them. Quick story. Years ago, shortly, very shortly after I became a Christian, I was a a baby Christian, Uh, I was walking our dogs on Thanksgiving morning. I remember the day very, very clearly. It was gray. It was drizzly. Um, There was a mix of melted snow and mud on the ground. This was at our house in Michigan, not Florida, of course. And um, I was walking the dogs, and I suddenly saw a lady come around the corner from an adjacent street. And she was starting to make her way towards me, and I I kind of had a feeling this woman is going to approach me. And as she got closer and closer to me, I could tell that she was intoxicated, um, probably high on drugs. And I thought, this is a holiday, and this woman is alone, walking around, and my heart started to break for her. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew all of a sudden that I was going to have an encounter with her and that the Spirit of God was telling me that I needed to pray, that I needed to pray with her. And so, sure enough, she approached me, and um, she... Uh, I just kind of, she was smiling and kind of stumbling and she produced a pill bottle from her, her uh, purse and offered and, and asked me if I wanted any. And I said, no, thanks. I, and I asked her if she had been doing drugs. I don't know where it came. It just came out of me boldly. And I said, have you been doing drugs? And she said that she had. And um, I told her that God loved her and didn't want her to abuse her body with drugs. I didn't, have, I didn't know what else to say. And she just quietly listened. And she told me that her name was uh, Julie. And... Uh, I asked Julie, can I pray for you? And I, I'm, I'm nervous, trust me, because I hadn't done this before. And I said, uh, as you can see, I'm having technical difficulties with my earpiece today. Um, so I'm just going to hold my hand there. So I said, can I pray for you? And she said, yes. And uh, I just put my hand on her shoulder and uh, I prayed for her. I don't remember what I prayed. I guarantee it was full of stuttering and inadequate words. Uh, But I prayed for her. When I said amen, um, she thanked me and she gave me a hug and she walked away. Uh, I don't know what happened to Julie. I didn't ever see her again after that day. Uh, But I knew uh, that in that encounter, Jesus wanted this lost sheep to experience his love in an encounter with a stranger, a stranger who did not know how to pray as he ought. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And when I reflect on that strange experience of prayer, I know that the Spirit helped me in my weakness. And knowing that, I'm encouraged not to shy away from uh, opportunities to pray in any circumstance now. Because what I can't do in prayer, God will do by praying in me and through me. Now, there are all kinds of different prayer. Right? There's prayer experiences with strangers where you just uh, pray on a whim because the Spirit leads. But there's quiet personal prayer. There's corporate liturgical prayer like we do today. There's contemplative prayer. There's intercessory prayer and so on. Um, and it, when it comes to prayer in our personal lives, we all have unique ways of praying. 
And that's good. One author that I was reading says that Christians' uh, prayer lives are kind of like marriages. There's something that all of them have in common, some things that that are in common, but all of them also have a uniqueness to them. And he says this, you are you and I am I, and we must each find our own way with God. And there is no recipe for prayer that can work for us like a handyman's do-it-yourself manual or a cookbook where the claim is that if you follow the instructions, you can't go wrong. Then he says this, and this is important. Praying is not like carpentry or cookery. It is the active exercise of a personal relationship, a kind of friendship with the living God and his son, Jesus Christ. And the way it goes is more under divine control than under ours. That's important. More under divine control than under ours. God is in control of even our prayer lives and is using them for something. You see, prayer is not an end in itself. Prayer is not an end in itself. It, is, it has a purpose. It has an ultimate goal. It is taking us somewhere. God is taking us somewhere with our prayer lives. And I hope that you find that this ultimate purpose, which Paul is about to discuss in just a minute here, I hope that you find it a compelling reason to develop your prayer life. Paul goes on and says this. We know all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Now, There's been a sort of history of interpreting this passage to mean something along the lines of if you always trust Jesus and believe in him, everything will go hunky-dory for you. Well, I hope that most of you probably know from personal experience, and if you read the New Testament, uh, that that's actually not the case. Uh, We actually are called to suffer um, as Christians. Um, But to understand what Paul means here by all things working together for the good, we have to read on in the passage. Now he goes on to say this, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You see what he's doing for us here? He's telling us what he means by good, as in all things work together for good. He's saying your ultimate good, if you're a Christian, is to be fully conformed to the image of Jesus. That is your ultimate good. You see why reading the Bible in big chunks is so important because we, we get so much more if we just pull out an individual verse or sentence. We have to understand what's going on in the overall uh, passage. But Paul here reminds us that the ultimate goal of our life is to become like Jesus. We could put all of this together like this. God's Spirit prays with us and in us, perfecting our prayers, which moves us continually toward our ultimate goal of being like Jesus. You see the flow of the passage? And do you see why it is so absolutely essential for disciples of Jesus to have prayer lives? Because prayer, which is communication with a loving Father, is the instrument by which that loving Father turns us into, transforms us into who we were made to be. And when we allow that to happen... God advances his kingdom and his mission in the world. I didn't realize it until years after the fact, but when God put Julie in my path, he wasn't just challenging me or testing my faith. Through that prayer encounter, he was trying to make me more like Jesus because Jesus would have reached out to Julie and extended mercy and healing and forgiveness. See? Maybe uh, you struggled with prayer because uh, you wonder if God really even hears you. Or maybe you struggle with prayer because you think he doesn't pay attention to you because you're unworthy or your prayers aren't good enough. And I think those are totally normal human concerns that we've all struggled with. But here's why we have to pay attention to something Paul says next. And what he says here is the center of this text. And if we don't grasp this, 
If we don't steep ourselves in this truth, we won't understand the rest of the text. He goes on to say this. He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? You see, Paul understood that the cross of Jesus was the center of everything. Here's what he's saying here. The God who died for you, you were not able to have a relationship with God because of your sinfulness. You were separated from him. And the God who went to the lengths to die for you while you were a sinner, not because you got your life cleaned up and impressed him, he died for you while you were a sinner to bring him to yourself, to reconcile you to himself with a self-giving love that dies a humble and painful death so that you could be in a relationship with him and so that he could put his spirit in you. Friends, a God who loves like that is not a God who will disregard the prayers of those who cry out to him in sincerity. That is what Paul is saying. The cross is at the center of our prayer life. It is the way that we have that access and that personal intimacy with the Father in heaven. So if you struggle with prayer because you doubt the adequacy of your prayers or you doubt that God is paying attention to you, take another look at the cross. That's God paying attention to you and your need for him. And if you do that, you'll be able to confess with Paul, God is for us. God is for us. Who can be against us? In fact, he's so for us that Paul says, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so what about the difficulty? What about the practical difficulty of prayer? It's difficult. Prayer is difficult. Here's the first thing. Pray as you can, not as you can't. Pray as you can, not as you can't. Have you ever heard that quote? It's true. It doesn't mean don't ever try to grow in your prayer life and become better at prayer. We should always be aspiring to grow in our prayer lives. But what it's saying is don't set unreasonable expectations for yourself. God hears the prayers of his children, no matter how simple or ineloquent. What matters is your intention to have intimacy with your heavenly father and to trustingly lay before him your needs and your thanksgivings. Think of the little girl who brings her papa a piece of paper with crayon scribbles all over it and says, look, papa, I drew a picture of you. Now, what kind of father takes that picture and says, this isn't good enough. I can't even tell what this is and gives it back to her and says, now go do a better job. No. A father, a loving father, a good father is overjoyed at his child's sincere love and desire to please him. So start by bringing God your scribbles. And over time, they'll start to become beautiful works of art through his work. And remember what our prayers lack. God's own spirit prays with sighs too deep for words. This should give us great confidence, no matter where we are in our prayer lives. Now, as a priest, I can't go without suggesting, of course, that you should be praying the daily office, Anglicans, Episcopalians. This is such an easy way into the life of prayer if you struggle. It's right in the prayer book. There's actually instructions in there, or it's good to talk to somebody who does pray it and who can teach you to pray through it. But it's such a good framework for praying, especially morning and evening prayer, and it's so rooted in Scripture and in the prayers of the ancient church. Um, It is a beautiful way to find consistency and stability in your prayer life. Praying morning prayer, evening prayer every day uh, through the prayer book. That is a great place to start. 
Now, it's important in all this to remember that this is God's work. This is ultimately God's work. Paul's uh, painting a picture for us in this passage of God's sovereignty over all things, over our prayer lives, over our ultimate transformation into the image of Christ, over our suffering and our ability to live fully for him. And our prayer lives are the way God works out his purposes in our lives, making us more like Jesus and strengthening our confidence in his inseparable, unbreakable love. But we have to cooperate. We do have to cooperate. We have to put ourselves before him so that he can work out his purposes in our lives. And if we try to get better at prayer, more consistent at prayer, you can guarantee that God will help you get better and more consistent at prayer. But no matter what kind of shape we find our prayer lives in, no matter what kind of shape we find our prayer lives in, we can always implore Jesus with the words that were on the lips of his first disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you, uh, your humble children who don't know how to pray as we ought. We ask you to pray in us and for us and through us. Your word tells us that Jesus intercedes for us in the heavenly realms. We thank you, Lord, for this promise but we ask that you would uh, give us patience to pray. Lord, help us to disconnect and to spend time with you. Give us diligence even when it feels dry and difficult and like we don't want to. And we pray, Lord, also that you would give us expectation, that we would see uh, you at work, your power at work in the world around us and in the lives of others through our prayer lives. All this we pray in your son's holy name. Amen.